0: Welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I am here with my dad, Erwin
1: Raphael McManus. I'm so excited to be here. I just learned that we've done 30 episodes already this year. 30 episodes this year. And people are complaining that we've missed a week. Wow. I I didn't even know we did 30. It's time to take a summer break. Relax. (laughs) Relax. You have a new book coming out. I do. And I want to announce to our Battle Ready audience... That the name of my new book is called "The Genius of Jesus," the genius of Jesus, the man who changed everything. I'm so excited! It's so exciting! And this is a, an incredible convergence of two passions in my life. Uh, for probably the last 40 years, I've studied the whole dynamic of genius from yes. every aspect of that creativity, imagination, innovation, uh, and um, even. Um, looking at the dynamics of narcissism and sociopathic behavior and uh, madness and um, and genius has always been incredibly intriguing to me and you know how does it form how does it just sort of show up in in different moments in human history you know people like Mozart and da Vinci and Einstein and Hawkings and Picasso and uh, they've always been fascinating to me mm-hmm. and so this book is a, a an unwrapping of genius, but it's also been, to me, fascinating that on all the lists of geniuses I've ever seen, Jesus has never been on a single list. And that began, for me, a a journey to to ask the question, if I did not believe Jesus was God, would I still identify Jesus as a genius? And why would Muhammad be on some list, and Buddha be on some list, and Gandhi be on some list, and Mandela be on some lists, but Jesus of Nazareth has never made it on the list. Even I think Paul has made it on lists of geniuses, but not Jesus. And so this book is a convergence of um, a lifetime of study of genius, lifetime of pursuit of Jesus. And, um, and then not only that, but asking the question, can genius be transferable? Hmm. Uh, is it possible if we unwrap the genius of Jesus that we might be able to discover, awaken, and unlock the genius within us all? You heard it here first. So go.
0: So, so some some actions you can do, some practical mm-hmm. steps to unlocking the genius within yourself. You can go to Amazon right now.
1: Yes, you can. You can right pre-order now.
0: the book. Go to Amazon right now and pre-order. Five books. Pre-order <laughs> five books, pre-order ten books. Here's the thing. If you will get like, if you can somehow get your whole church or your whole business or your whole staff, we will figure some way out to connect with you and do something with you. Whether it's send a personal Absolutely. message. I'm committing stuff for you. But uh, I don't know. You tell us how many books you're going to buy and we're going to figure out a way. Even if it's just like a quick hello or a FaceTime, we're going to find it. You might just get yeah. me, but- <laughs> So no, we're going to find some way to get us connect both. with you guys.
1: Hey, and here's to me what's so exciting is um, one, when I wrote An Unstoppable Force, and I, I was advocating some ideas that were seen to be outrageous that humans are actually created to create the future, that this is the, the uniqueness of the human species. When I wrote The Artist and Soul, and I talked about how every human being is an artist, every human being is intrinsically creative, both those books were considered heretical. And now those concepts are actually normative. And this book actually advocates for um, an anthropology that there's genius inside of every human being. And there's an argument for it, and I think the argument is compelling. And I think it'll change the way we not only think of genius, but we think of ourselves. But also, I think this is a fresh, new, uh, provocative, life-changing perspective on Jesus. And so... I. I, 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 I'm I so committed to getting this book across the world because I want people to think of Jesus in a way they've never thought about him before.
0: I love this book idea so much. And the cover is on Amazon. So it is. So go and pre-order it right now. Go and pre-order this right now. Send it to everyone you know, whether they know Jesus or they don't. It's on Convergent, which is Penguin Random House. Yes. So like, if you're just trying to like convince your friend who would never read this book, be like... The same publisher that published him published Michelle Obama, <laughs> Jordan Peterson, some legends. You are now in the GOAT category. All right. We got here right. Go. So here you go. Go and buy the book, pre-order it. it. comes out September 14th. And secondly, go and subscribe to the new podcast we are working on at this moment. It's called? The, you go. The Genius Of. The Genius Of. We're going to link it in this bio. Go and subscribe. I'm going to get him to do an intro to the podcast right now. But d- do you want to announce who you're going to have
1: as your first guest? Well, what's exciting is I'm going to bring... So that was a no. Uh, yes, I am. Okay, you are? Yes, but I have to lead up to but it. But you're not to going to tell it. the big... The, the, like, like the, you're not going to tell the big one, are you? Well, I can tell a few, but um, we're going to do two streams here. And one of them is I'm going to start a podcast. Okay. Called The Genius Of, and i am be interviewing uh, people around the world that I've gotten to know who express a very unique genius. And um, and, and frankly, um, I recently did a podcast with Ed Milette, and um, he has millions of of listeners. And it was such a powerful conversation with him that I asked Ed if he would be one of my geniuses that I could interview. Okay. And so Ed Milette has said yes, he would come, and I'm going to interview him on The Genius Of, Ed Milet. So I was new to Ed Milet. Like mm-hmm. I, I was, you introduced me to him yeah. and the day you were going to drive out to go do
0: the podcast with mm-hmm. him, I went on a run and I listened to like one of his mm-hmm. episodes with who was it? I want to say it was the founder of Netflix. I can't remember. I can't remember, but it was amazing. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. He yeah. looked like he is the long lost member of the Avengers. <laughs> it yes. looked like he ate the Hulk, uh-huh. Yeah.
1: but he is, he is really brilliant. Yeah, And on top of that, and I, very kind. A year and a half ago, I did this incredible uh, podcast with someone I did not know, but we've become friends. His name is Lewis House. Yes, and Lewis interviewed some of the most brilliant people in the world. Cool. And I, he has uh, a podcast called The School of Greatness. He has The School of Greatness. And so I said, Lewis, I want to interview you for the Genius of, and I want to dig into your genius so that people can um, not only see your genius, but maybe begin to see their own. And so Lewis House said yes. That's and incredible. then, of course, we have my great friend Angela Davis, incredible. who is the co-founder of Army. And uh, and she said big yes that she would come, and so we're going to unwrap the genius of Angela Davis, and there are so many others, but I'm keeping some of them secret. We, we
0: have a cool, we have a cool family. Yeah, the Davises that have a really cool family. Yeah, they really do. They, she is one a business owner, mm-hmm. a phenomenal, like a Nike like athlete,
1: Olympian, Olympian, yeah.
0: like an almost Olympian yeah. runner. Yeah, she owns Army, which is like. An Equinox Soul Cycle boot camp mm-hmm. training facility, and in, in we host phenomenal. And in New York City, yeah. And then with her partner, and then um, she also her brother is Jerry Lorenzo, her sister's Angela. No, she's Angela, her sister's Natalie Manuel Davis. Mm-hmm. Her she, husband's
1: Jerome Davis. Her
0: husband's Jerome Davis. Um, They're just all really Natalie's like husband's Brian. Jerry's yeah. wife is. Des. Des. They just have an insane family. They all do really cool things.
1: Every one of them is amazing. Every one of them is. Every amazing. one of them has got their own genius. Yeah, right.
0: Jerry does Fear of God. Yeah. Nice cat. But so you have an incredible list that you're like really holding back on like the other 15 back. people we have locked in. So go and subscribe to The Genius of Right Now. And that brings us into our, like our first topic, and that you are a pastor, but you are also a businessman, a fashion designer, a filmmaker, a A published author. You have 10 plus books. Unstoppable Force was out 25 years ago. Uh,
1: 21 years ago. 21 years ago.
0: If you want to rock your brain, (laughs) go read Unstoppable Force. If you're looking for intimacy, go and read Soul Cravings. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for that moment in your life that you have been trying to seize, read Chasing Daylight.
1: But now we're
0: talking about you. (laughs) You're breaking the stigma, the paradigm that you can only be one thing—a pastor. You are now all of these different things. How do you do it?
1: Hmm. First of all, I'd say I don't. I think that I can say this accurately. There's never been a book like *The Genius of Jesus*. Right. Uh, I'm sure there will be uh, great books to follow on this topic, but this this book is a breakout breakthrough concept about Jesus. Mm. Um, and, and it connects even to the question you asked me, how do I end up doing all these different things, and not just be a pastor, is that one of the things that's happened in my life, in my relationship with Jesus, is that he has erased the boundaries that other people tried to establish in my life. He has given me the freedom to dream and to imagine and to create regardless what other people think. And, and, and so I've never felt obligated by my relationship with Jesus to not be a filmmaker, to not be a fashion designer, to not uh, do all these things and right. be a pastor. Only right. people right. put those limitations on you. Right. Jesus doesn't put those limitations on you. He actually expands the boundaries of your influence and uh, of your creativity.
0: That's a clip right there. Clip it, snip, clip, put it, <laughs> let people share it. You were a pastor. You are also a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. You are also that's like the newest thing. I'm going newest thing to, to the oldest things. But um, you're an author, mm-hmm. business consultant.
1: You do... What else do you do? For years, I've been a filmmaker. Filmmaker, yes. Commercials, in the, documentaries. In the business world, I worked as a futurist for the last 30 years.
0: What does that mean? You say that, what does that mean? <laughs> well, the Are you way, a fortune teller?
1: Um, I wish, but I'm not. No. <laughs> like rub, rubs an yeah. iPad. No, it really it really is. A lot of people think a futurist is someone who tells you what the future is going to look like or predicts the future. It's not. Uh, a futurist actually is able to, uh, one, have a good sense of cultural trends, movements, what's happening in the world around you, what, what different factors will affect your company, your organization. Um, uh, economics are involved in that. But also, really, what are the organizational changes, cultural changes you need to make to create the future your company wants. And so it's for me, being a future is much more important uh, in terms of helping an organization create the world they're imagining, and regardless of what's happening around them.
0: You have a really interesting approach to how you look at organizations as well, right? Because you're not mm-hmm. really someone who goes and does a deep dive into the history, or do you? Because I, I, I've always, whenever I've traveled with you, you're always asking lots of questions, mm-hmm. contextual questions, mm-hmm. environmental questions. What is the cultural mm-hmm. um, core values of an organization? But a lot of times you're able to come into a room and really figure it out just based on, Yeah, it sounds so hippie, but I don't mean it hippie, <laughs> but based on like energy and interaction
1: and... I know it's so true. And I, I always have to be careful how I say this, but I can usually walk into a company within minutes, may, maybe seconds, uh, feel the room, know... Where the positive energy is coming, from, where the negative energy is coming from, I can tell where the problems coming yeah. from. I can tell. I, I mean, I, and, I, and and yeah. and like, let me set the stage. So <laughs> when I
0: was like in kindergarten to like second grade, we had first moved to to L.A. Um, but this was before my mom caught wind of what you were doing. Um, you, you weren't working for church. You were a business consultant. Yeah, and you were at the time, at least the, the times I remember, you were consulting for Disney. And corporate, right?
1: Doing or, some things. Doing some things. Yeah. But
0: I remember growing up like in a boardroom. So you would you would always volunteer to be the the parent who would take me to the field trip.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then about an hour into the field trip, you're like, "All right, buddy, I'm over this. Well, I gotta go to a <laughs> meeting. I'm going And you, I remember because you took me to the is the LA Zoo, which is like in Burbank somewhere. Where's where is it, Kev?
1: It's in LA. Griffith Park. Griffith Griffith Park. Park. Okay.
0: So we go there, you'd be there for like two hours tops and be like, Mm -hmm. all right, buddy, you're coming with me. Tell your friends to go with the other group. (laughs) And then you would take me to Disney, which is like around the corner corporate and you would like do these boardroom meetings and i remember i like some lovely intern would take care of hang out with me and i'd sit in the corner of the boardroom i'd be like i don't want to play with you you're useless to me i sitting in the boardroom and listen you did you always wanted I to eavesdrop always wanted to listen to the boardroom <laughs> conversations and 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 then you would kind of do cultural breakdowns of like helping them with marketing or xyz sure but i, I always remember this it was really really prevalent that you were so effective from the moment you walked into the building to the moment you hit the boardroom, you already knew enough information from to the time, from the moment you walked into the time you sat down, you'd Mm -hmm. ask 15 different questions. Yeah. And then by the time you sat down, you had a pretty decent grasp of where they were at with whatever certain issue they were bringing to you. (laughs) How is it knowing, how do you ask the right questions?
1: Um, Well, I mean, that is the key is asking the right questions and that takes some um, skill to pay attention, to listen carefully. And at first, you're, you're listening to nuances. You're not just listening to what people say, you're listening to what they don't say. Right. You know, and I mean, I can think about a major car corporation that we went and consulted with, and they were hiring us to do assessments of older employees. But the two, the CEO and the CFO said, but we don't want to go through any of the process ourselves. We just want you to do it with our employees and give us uh, feedback and then help us figure out how to fix our organization. And again, this is an international uh, car company. And I told him, I said, the problem is that we could assess all your employees, but I looked at the CEO and the CFO and I said, but the problem is with you two. And I said, you two um, can't stand each other. You're the CEO, but you're pretty sure the CFO is leveraging to steal your position. And you as a CFO, you're you're actually planning to take his position. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me both of them most of the same. time said, "How did you know?" <laughs> and and I probably shouldn't have said it so directly. We did not get hired back. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is
1: the other one. <laughs> and, uh, You're like a one and done. Guy. But, but I, I what I realized was that they would hire us, and we would fail because they wouldn't allow us to address the real issue.
0: Interesting.
1: And so I did not want our company to have that that mark on it saying we could not accomplish what they wanted and use us as a scapegoat for what was really going on. And, you know, and so sometimes you just have to pay attention to the relational dynamics, to what isn't being said, to what is being said, to how it's being said. And I mean, one of the funniest things that ever happened is I was in this business meeting in no, Canada. No, but hold on, oh. let's address that thing. Oh, you didn't yeah. answer my question. Okay. How do you ask the right questions? Um, well, I think you have to begin by just listening asking people to tell you their story, okay. ask you to, um, to ha- have them explain to you what they see as the issue, what they see as the problem, what they see as going on. And as you listen to their story, you'll begin to see massive gaps in the story. Right. You'll, you'll notice that there's certain things that aren't talked about. And it's just like the whole dynamic of, of organizational ethos. What the rules are, are never the problems. Everybody knows what's written. It's, a, it's, it's the stuff that isn't written that really creates the problem. And, and so it, it, when they say, well, I'm having a problem with this person because of these things, or we're having an organizational problem because of these things, you can always know the things they've identified are not the core problem. You have to see the thing behind what they identify, what's causing that, what's... An, and, and so, so you're you kind keep, of,
0: you're like, you're, you're, un- you're shoveling like beneath the surface.
1: Yeah, you're asking questions that push behind their already established conclusions. They they they've already prepared in their minds what's wrong, what's wrong, what they're going to tell you. Right, but those things are usually there to hide what's really wrong and what they don't want to tell you. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So okay. So what's like a what's your first question when you go into a conversation like this when you're trying to solve a problem?
1: How can we help? Okay,
0: something's really broken. (laughs) We don't know what's going on. We think it's this. We think it's this. These are all the problems.
1: The problem is them, not us. How do you address it? Well, I, I think that you begin by saying, well, what, what, do, you, well, like, what do you hope to accomplish? Like what, and because if you're unhappy, that means that you have a certain idea that, of what your company should be doing, how you should actualize it, and you're not effectively hitting those goals. I and think, so I would say, what do you think is the problem? And I always ask them that. It's like, like help me. Like, I'm new here. So yeah. let me see your company through your eyes.
0: Do you think that's a dangerous question, though? Because immediately, like, they're either right or wrong. So now, now the person who's supposed to hire you—you've already either made them a liar
1: or, or an idiot. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's just about helping a person because if they were right, because
0: if they were right, they would have been able to solve the problem without you. Right. So
1: it, 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 here's the thing: when I, when you have a problem and you can't see your way out of it because you're in the middle of the problem, okay, I can look at your problem because I'm not emotionally affected by it. Okay, and I can see more object- objectively. Okay, but when I have a problem. I'm in the middle of that problem, and I may not be able to see very objectively. And so, it always helps to have outside eyes looking in at your problem. Right. And so, it's not that I'm smarter than the people I'm going to help. It's not that I'm better at it. Your fresh set of eyes. And and I'm not emotionally attached to the choices that have been made. I'm not emotionally attached to the uh, to the failure. I'm not emotionally attached to uh, to what the solution might be. Oh, we were talking about this yesterday. I
0: I really hate emotional attachment to decisions.
1: But there are emotions attached to every decision. No, there isn't. Yes, there no, is. No, it
0: no no no. <laughs> it, okay, We're, let me rephrase. Yes, there is, you are right. <laughs> Not everything has to be driven and forwarded put in motion right by emotion. Does that make sense? So I can choose a yes or no on a certain project knowing all of the factors. I was saying this to you. I get mad When someone pretends it's business, when it's actually personal, if it's personal and it's business, just say it. Hey, this is a personal thing that I need to solve because I can't lead at this level because unless we address this personal thing that that's happening.
1: See, and I would say the business is always personal and that you don't really separate those.
0: And what I'm saying is that don't mask personal.
1: Yeah, that's different.
0: Does that make sense? Don't come saying this is the business issue. Come and say, I have a personal problem with this business issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or even in leadership, or I'm, even, or I'm personally affected by this decision. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
0: But I, 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 I don't like when people try to approach it corporately or professionally when it's really just a personal, a personal thing that they want to achieve professionally.
1: Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. I don't want to do this but because it I do my think life. that's why intention is really important. You have to know what you're about and why you're doing what you're doing. And that informs everything. A lot of times when a company begins to lose its way, it's because they, they lost their why. They forgot why they're doing what they're doing. And they became more attached to a what or a how than a why. And that's what happens in churches. I mean, the why is supposed to be to bring life to all of humanity through the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah. And But then the church forgets the why, so it gets committed to the how and the what. And so we have to do it like this, mm-hmm. you know. These are the things that are important to us. And you are going. Wait a minute, you've lost your why because the the what and the how became more important. Or sometimes even the where. Like a lot of churches die because they're not willing to relocate, and because they they lost their why. Their where is more important. Yeah. And uh, but also it's it's about um, being proactive in the creation of the future rather than in s- simply responsive to what's, to the uh, dynamics and the circumstance. So how do I be proactive about the creation of the future? You need to make decisions every day that move you, the future you want forward.
0: What if people are okay with just where they're at, but then they're mad that they're
1: dying, but then they just like who they are? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've struggled with this because I think that I have a hard time imagining a person being okay with mediocrity or a person be okay with apathy or a person being okay with average. But I know that that is functionally true. And But I think deep down inside, that's just because we gave up or because we don't believe we can change the circumstance. I think deep down inside, people want to live their their. Optimal life; they want to live at their highest level of potential, and but I just if I just give you the example because I I wanted to tell you the story. I was in Canada years ago working with this company, and I started um, explaining to them um, why I felt that their company should make these decisions move this direction. And one of the men said, "Well, it's too risky. Um, we need a plan B." And and I was trying to walk him through that if. If they have a plan B because they're inclined towards safety, security, and low risk, they'll just move to default plan B no matter what. Yeah. And then the guy pulled out something that happened earlier to me. Right before the meeting was getting going, a waiter came into the private room we were meeting in, and he asked me if I wanted a drink. And I said, "Um, I'd love to have a Diet Coke. And he said, well, we only have Pepsi. Ugh. And uh, he goes, would that be okay? And I, it's said, not the same. And I said, no, it's okay. Just give me a glass of ice. And, a glass of ice is by itself. Yeah. And then, in the an hour later in the meeting, the guy in charge goes, uh, "You don't, you can't control such, uh, the future, you know, and and you always have to have a plan B." And he goes, "For example, when you came in, you wanted a Diet Coke, but all they had here was Diet Pepsi, and you had no control over that." And I said, "That's a great point." Then I reached into my backpack and I pulled out my die coat, <laughs> and I popped it open, and I said, "That's why you need to be proactive enough to bring your game, and your your A game, yeah. and uh, so that you don't have to go to your B game." Wow! <laughs> so you brought your stash just in case. See, and I think a lot of people just move through life incidentally, hoping. That the universe- Your or, plan
0: B was your plan A. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, believe me. If you're not moving with intention toward your plan A, you are getting plan B, C, D. Uh, you know. <laughs> okay.
0: So how do we, like, uh, one thing that we find a lot of times in church, mm-hmm. which I think also, also the more and more we work in business, we mm-hmm. see this as well, just, just as much. Mm-hmm. They just found something scalable and then they got comfortable. Yeah. Oftentimes in, in, in church, things scale. Mm-hmm. Whether they work or not, people can, it's really easy to get comfortable in what you're doing. Yeah. The same times, the same structures, people sit in the same seats, they invite the same people or they don't invite the same people and, mm-hmm. and they have their their same kind of like migration patterns, mm-hmm. especially when you get a kid and then you or you have a child and you have a family and then it becomes this like very cyclical thing. We go to church for this and then we take these days off and this is X, Y, Z. Yeah, How do you, because comfort is something that people I feel like achieve, right? Because you know, this, like you, you're you an immigrant from El Salvador, you, you came from a very um, educated and... Decently successful family. Yes. But then started over in Miami. Really started over. Whenever in
1: Miami. you migrate, you're starting over.
0: You're starting over. <laughs> so it wasn't like you came and you had all this wealth. It was like you guys really yeah. genuinely started over.
1: I mean, there people don't realize there are a lot of doctors from Syria who are here working blue collar or uh, manual labor jobs because their medical degrees didn't transfer from the Middle East to the United States. Yeah. When yeah, you migrate, you're starting all over. You start there, over. No start matter how educated
0: or successful you were before. in a country
1: of this size. Yeah.
0: So getting comfortable. So when you come to a new country, mm-hmm. like uh, to achieve a, a certain level of comfort, like having a house, having cars, being able to put your kids into school or or keep being in the right neighborhood or or, or just providing for your family. There's a certain... Comfort is something that is achievable or is something you were trying to achieve. But then when you achieve it, it destroys you. So how do you achieve a level of success but not also get comfortable.
1: Well, and on top of that, how dangerous is it when people think the church is supposed to be comfortable? Right? Right. And I think that's one of the challenges is that if you're living your life for your own personal success, whether it's uh, you know, uh, a house in a safe neighborhood or a car yeah. or whatever it may be, um, then you then you're more likely to get comfortable. Mm. But if you're living your life to do the most good you can in the world, mm-hmm. then you're never going to get comfortable, right? Because there's always more good that can be done in the world, and so there's some sense, some sense in my mind that the best way to always stay hungry and stay ambitious is to live your life for others, mm-hmm. and 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 then to enjoy the the benefit and success of that hard work as well. See, I, I don't want to. Um, Try. I, I don't know why, but we're we're almost like creating this. Our culture is creating this um, demonization of people being successful. Like everyone who's successful, everyone who's affluent, everyone who's wealthy, everyone who started a company and, and it worked, um, they have to be bad people. And, yeah. and I don't.
0: I don't talk to those people. Yeah, I'm just saying. Who, you, yeah, make that. Thing I don't. If you want to be normal, that's fine. You're just go find other normal people.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna go for broke. <laughs> I just started, started
0: that, broke. so Let's go for broke. Let's I just, try to the, achieve something. The
1: way to not get comfortable is to always care about something more than uh, more than just yourself, outside of yourself, and and that's the thing that's what drives our life too. Is how much. How good can we do? And 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 even as a dad, I care about you and Mariah and Jake and and Juno now. Uh, we had a we had a, we have a kid in our family. I have a granddaughter, a me new Kim. baby. Yeah, and so we're baby so excited. Juno. But see, it's interesting to me. It matters to me um, what I do in my life, even now, how it affects Juno. Right. And so I think the more people you care about, the less likely you are to get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, if you only care about yourself, I think it's easier to get more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, I, I, but I wanted to go back to the other dynamic here. But I
0: would challenge that a little okay. bit. People would okay. say, like, I, I care about my family, so I, sure, so I'm comfortable because I can, I have achieved taking care of my family, and I don't want to go any, anywhere else. Yeah. How like you've never really gotten comfortable? Yeah. And you're 62, almost 63. Because yeah. I'm turning 33. You're turning 63. That's right. Do you ever get exhausted by the lack of comfort?
1: I don't know if I get exhausted by lack of comfort. I get afraid that I might choose to just live comfortably. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I don't want to look back on my life and go, oh, 40 was my peak, or 50 was my peak, or 60 was my peak. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to die at my peak. And so whether I live toward, you know, toward my 70s or if I live... Until my 80s or if I live until my 90s, I kind of hope I'm still peaking so that when I die, people will go, wow, he had so much still left to do. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) And and so I don't really believe in retirement. No, no, you
0: don't. You really don't. No. No. So back back to your pastor. Mm Mm-hmm. Built a church. And it was great because I was at a, a party last weekend and it was a birthday party. And and uh, a guy I had met a couple of times at like dinners, he kind like, of comes up to me and he's like, so I heard your dad owns Mosaic. <laughs> and, and he goes, ah, I didn't mean own. I meant like, because I looked at him and I was like, oh, he doesn't own it. He's like, I didn't mean own. I meant like, like he started it. And I was like, yeah, he did start it like mm-hmm. 25 years ago, been in Hollywood for the last, I guess, 10 or 11 years now. Yeah. And, and, um, and he was like, oh, that's cool. I want to come. And I was That's like, awesome. you want to come? I had no <laughs> yeah. idea. He was the one I thought for sure had no interest. And, and he was like, yeah, no, I grew up Catholic. But like, I really love, I really love to come to church. Mm. I would come. And I was like, oh, the moment we're open, I'll, I'm hitting you and you can come. That's awesome. we'll, we'll go together. But one thing, I, for him and my friends in that kind of world, they don't see any issue in you being a business person as well.
1: No, in fact, that it actually gives me w- way more credibility.
0: Yeah, they think you're more interesting because yeah. you're like, oh, it, it, if you were just a pastor, I think they would be nervous. Yeah, but because you do so much more, you know. Because he was like, "I would love to come to church." I was like, "If you come to church, cool. I love it. I want you to come. Come over to our house. Let's barbecue. Let's <laughs> hang out. Let's get the boys over. We'll have to watch a game." And he was like, um, "He was like, oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. He was. He was. He was like. He was interested.
1: He was intrigued. Yeah.
0: And but I think f- being in both worlds. And it's floating because they have to say both worlds. It should just be one world and you can be able to do different things.
1: Yeah, it's for me it is one world. And I always find it to be odd when people go, Well, you're a pastor and you shouldn't, you know, have a fashion line, or you're a pastor, you shouldn't be making films, or you're a pastor, you shouldn't be, I don't know, writing books like this, or you're a pastor and you shouldn't um, be interested in in clothes or, you know, you shouldn't yeah. wear those those sneakers. Or and I'm going, Wow, since when is my life defined and dictated by someone else's opinion of me? And what yeah. I, what, what I find it interesting is that like all those people who have opinions on pastors. Not, none of them like cared about me when I was making six thousand dollars a year, and, and Kim no. and I were sleeping on the floor because we couldn't afford of a bed. Uh, no bed, and when for a decade I never made more than no twelve fifteen thousand dollars a year, like. No one showed up during those years. No one was was putting me on their, you know, social media. Nobody was talking about me. And what you have to realize is that the people who are not interested in you when, quote, you're not successful, you shouldn't be that interested in their opinions when you are successful. It's so
0: interesting, <laughs> right? Like, it goes back to that quote of, I don't know if it's really Christian Bale, but I think you see it on Instagram all the time of, like, if you don't have if, if you don't have my number...
1: Now, if you have a problem with me,
0: call if, me. If you have a problem with me, call me. If you don't have my number... You don't know me well enough yeah. to have problem. <laughs> exactly, that is words to live by. Yeah, because I'm just like I, we had a little bit of a scuffle a couple of weeks ago. I'm sorry, it's my fault. But someone had posted, and then and then like like always like things. There's always little things because we're in a city. I was talking with a friend who came in from the middle of the country, and he's like, we you know we get. Some hate because we grew really fast and we moved to a really wealthy neighborhood and and we bought buildings and we're, like, really growing rapidly because our online growth is really big. Not us. I'm talking about Mm, his situation. Um, We have grown. We grow. Yeah. But they went, like, viral from, like, being a little church kind of in the hood to being, like, this big, viral church online and then growing in person. And we were kind of talking about, like, the modernization of technology and and church and everything. And he was like, but we don't ever have, like, actors and actresses and, like, famous – hate us. If someone hates us, it's like someone's mom down the street that like is <laughs> uncomfortable with our situation, or that we're like young guys yeah. kind of taking over the area. And he's like, so we try to be like so supportive of other churches mm-hmm. and other organizations, like verbally and loud and like outwardly. And I was like, oh, it's cool, but but for us, we genuinely kind of are in the heart. And and I was I went to this dinner, and and my friend was like, what happened? <laughs> like, why does that person hate you? And I was like, ah, I was like, we we're polarizing at times because we're in a city where mm-hmm. there's so many people who struggle to become actors, struggle to become business people are struggling to live the dream mm-hmm. and it's hard for them to see people i think of faith be successful yeah because it's because it's um and i i i love it because i'm like okay when you're called to something that 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 is that is um really not about yourself and then God makes you successful in that, or you just, or you become successful in that way but through kind of mm-hmm. God's effect on your life. It's really hard for other people to watch. It kind of yeah. is really revealing of their own like situation and their own humanity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how um, capable they are to express joy for other people.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great indicator. If someone else's success makes you unhappy, you have a problem.
0: Yeah. Yes, but, but people, like, throw stuff at us. Yeah. You know, you're a cult or you're, yeah. you're wolves in sheep clothing. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll I'll take the wolves in sheep clothing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not in sheep clothing. I'm wolves in wolves clothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm the wolf to kill the other wolves. <laughs> you come at my family, I'm going to come at you. But it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is a huge stigma thing because my friends – a, a huge paradigm shift that's happening because I do – think that the generations after me will never... No one will ever question them starting businesses because you've broken down a lot of those situations.
1: Yeah, and that's what I I look at. I have so many pastors, so many young men and women who DM me or text me or send me a note saying, I never felt I was free to express my faith and I want I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm, I, I want to be a pastor, but I'm also a fashion designer. I want to be a pastor. I'm also a filmmaker. I want to be a pastor. I'm also an entrepreneur, business person. And I never thought it was possible until you did that. Yeah. And and I in fact, I know I'm an anomaly, but I hope that before I die, I'm a norm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just hope that people are used to pastors being incredibly creative and entrepreneurial and even eccentric and... And um, yeah. and I I hope the stereotype of of what it means to be pastor, what's required to be pastor, is just absolutely destroyed. And um, look at a person, see if they're doing good in the world. And and, um, and and here's the crazy thing: is like you make clothes, like you know, we we, we have you know, make mass gallery, and if you make a jacket and someone doesn't like it. You know, all they have to do is like return it. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, yeah. and but then they'll go, oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate that jacket or whatever. But you didn't really like have a dramatic effect on their life. Hopefully, like I've gotten, yeah, yeah. I've, I've ordered things, the shoes didn't fit, I sent them back. But I don't hate Nike for the rest of my life. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not, not, I'm right. not like furious at yeah. Converse, going you let me down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? But in but in church life, yeah. you're trying to help people you open up your doors to broken hurting people who are struggling and perfect because we all are and then if it doesn't get better for them they hold you responsible for the brokenness in their life and and this is the thing. And then they I, hate everything you touch forever. Yeah, for, yeah forever. forever and and one really of the things you are. know people said to me, you know, things like, well, you know, I came to mosaic and I never found community and I said, well, let me ask you, like where in your life have you found community? And the answer is usually nowhere. And I, and I say, I, is it possible that mosaic isn't the problem? That you actually haven't developed the the um, emotional and relational infrastructure to know how to have friendships. And and one of the things people don't realize is that church is one of the few places that's willing to risk its reputation on people who will destroy it. Yeah, I, and I, it's a beautiful thing. Honestly, it's an incredible act of sacrifice. Yeah. It
0: really is. It really is, and it's it's really funny because we talk about it a lot. I have an an innate fear of being canceled, me too, destroyed, slandered on the internet because I just feel I hate it. I'm a pretty private person, Mm -hmm. and I've made mistakes for sure. I made mistakes that a pastor's kid shouldn't make. Yeah, but lots of pastor's kids make, and not that that's. I'm not contextualizing. I'm just saying. So this podcast has been something that's really helped me be able to talk about things that I've struggled with in a more open platform because I would Mm -hmm. never like air that out Mm -hmm. speaking in Venice, but. But talking about mental health and my struggles with it, talking about suicide and my struggles with it, talking about addiction, not an addiction, but like struggles with alcohol and things like that, like we've been able to unwrap things that I really were, I had to struggle through. I was different than Mariah, I was different than you even. Mm-hmm. And and so, but when you look at it from like a public platform, I was having coffee with someone today who's like really big and in in that whole world, in acting mm-hmm. and in LGBTQ world and like the whole thing. And, and like we love both, but it's a complex dynamic, especially in L.A., because there's so much going on politically with it and Mm -hmm. and environmentally, and then they see us as kind of like the frontier of conservatism, which we really aren't. (laughs) If anything, we're like, we're we're so much more progressive than, I think, so much of the church, and Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of an honor, but a really delicate one at at Mm -hmm. times, you know? So when when, when you, what you said is, like, it's the greatest sacrifice to, to really love on people who are so quick to destroy it, it it's so true. Like, mm-hmm. And, like, the great thing is that we have, I do think we have thousands of people who understand that Mosaic is in, like, a, one of the most volatile corners of the world. Yeah. The craziest corners. <laughs> like, all the sane people live yeah. in South Pass. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, but you have such crazy kind of young people who come to the city and, like, trying to figure out who they are. And they wrap God in it, and I know that there were times where I was really lonely, and I would tell you, I'd be like, I don't, my friends don't go to this church, <laughs> like my friends go to other churches, or they just don't go to church, you know. Yeah. And I liked them better, and and then, but God really did a miracle in my life by bringing such incredible people around me, mm-hmm. and so it was like I stayed committed to coming. I was a mess. <laughs> I think Mosaic stayed more committed to me than I said committed to Mosaic, and like. That problem was solved. And I th- but a huge part of the reason I think it got solved of the loneliness thing was I became a better friend. Mm. You know? Mm. I stopped ghosting people. Mm. I like and I had like left New York and I felt like all my friends in New York had kind of like abandoned me from like the church I was there. And and they didn't. It's just when you move, you're not the priority anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know if I had gone back, it's just funny how time and things change. But y- you feel lonely, and so you, you you project that everyone else in the world is trying to make you lonely. Yeah. And so the things that you're a part of are the reason why you're lonely. Yeah. And it's like, how do you—we ask the right questions, but I think some, oftentimes we, 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 we project the wrong blame at the yeah. wrong
1: things. Yeah, I mean, I look at me and your mom. I'm the son of an alcoholic, and your mom's a daughter of an alcoholic. Yeah. And for both of us, imperfect churches helped us— Discover a life changing relationship with Jesus, right? And you know, and in that process, it would have been easy for us to look at everything those churches did wrong, mm-hmm. but what they did right is they loved us in their imperfection. Mm-hmm. And and a part of the reason I'm so committed still to the church is that I actually think the church offers the world something unique that nothing else does. Yeah, and that's community. Mm. And I have so many friends who don't know Jesus and they're just so incredibly lonely. They don't have any friends. Yeah. in any connections. And, and the human connection is lost to them. And I just saw so it she said, look, it doesn't matter that you don't believe in God. Just come. You need people in your life. I met someone last week and she's uh, she's from San Diego. And I outside of San Diego, I said, how long have you lived in LA? She said, two years. I said, how do you like it? She goes, I hate it. And I said, why? She was like, People aren't friendly. I don't know anybody. I've been here two years. I live with yeah. my boyfriend. I came here for work, but I just, I don't know. I'm alone. Yeah. And she asked, how old are you? She said, 22. And I said, I got a bunch of 20 year olds that would yeah. love to be your friend. <laughs> you
0: got to send me your contact. I could give it to Amy I, I, no, and, and I gave oh, you it, gave it Amy, to Amy and Robbie. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Cool. And, um, and I think the city is full of people like that, but not just our city the world is full of people who just feel so disconnected and yeah and and I don't think people realize as much as they hate on the church and hate on Christianity and hate on you know pastors and churches church is one of the few places people can actually step out of their loneliness and isolation, yeah and connect to other people, make friendships and have people who can actually journey with them all their life I think that's pretty Pretty amazing.
0: It's so amazing. And I think it's – it. community is tough in any hemisphere or environment. Like mm-hmm. it's just something you have to put a lot into, have to have a lot of like openness and grace and forgiveness mm-hmm. for. And and I think some people have put it – who have come before me have put it so much better than I can. It's like you – you you m- church is a, is a family you choose. Mm-hmm. But once you make a family, you don't walk away from family. You just have to either like decide to help it get better – or you know what i mean or yeah. or just leave yeah and i don't i don't walk away from my family there's times i take breaks <laughs> <laughs> but but i think once you kind of choose and, and obviously there's there's so much stuff that goes on with it but but back to the original thing we were talking about being a pastor and kind of breaking yeah. out of the shell
1: you know i have a friend named keith and he says you have a family of birth and you have a family of choice yeah and the church becomes your family of choice if you yeah. allow it to be yeah. You know, but, you know, going back to what you asked me earlier about being a futurist, it brings me to a question we were talking about earlier about the future of education. Do you want to talk about that? I do. I want to talk about it. It's We're 40 minutes in. Do you want to... Do, that's
0: another episode.
1: All right, then we'll... You want to do we'll 20 minutes it. on it? No, no. We'll save it for another episode, but I want to talk about the future of education. And, you know, we've had a, uh, 18 months where schools have been basically shut down across right. the country. Yeah. And it's a great moment for us to talk about what should education look like in the future. Um, But we're going to save that for the next podcast. This is a little teaser for it. Thank you so much for every single person who supports
0: Battle Ready Podcast, and now supports the Genius of. (laughs) So Battle Ready is still going to be a thing. We're still going to do this, but the Genius of, unfortunately, I haven't made it to the Genius of. I'm not in the Genius (laughs) category. So this is a podcast I'm going to help produce. But it's me, my dad, and my dad's co-host, or whoever else he guests, he brings yes, on. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to be part of this pod- project, so thank you for every pr- person who subscribes, who listens, who rates and review the- reviews these podcasts on iTunes, and every person who supports us on Anchor, that we have 142 people who, who, uh, who contribute each month, and so if you are interested in that, you can go to the link in bio, and we are dropping some new merch before Father's Day, I can't promise you you'll get it for Father's Day, but you're gonna get something, So, we're going to drop that. So, check this out on the link in the bio. New merch, Battle Ready Fight Club. I don't know, Battle Ready Fight Club. That's what I think it's going to be called. (laughs) All right. right. Love you, Dad. All All right. Bye.